Acts 10, verse 23. The next day he rose and went away with him, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Now we're talking about Peter. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. <clears throat> when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So I went. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why did you send for me? Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news to the, of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who he had who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> pardon me, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they ask him to remain for some days. Father, we pray you bless the reading of your word. Let it find good soul. Amen. Notice this phrase. Cornelius falls in front of him and he says, stand up. I too am a man. If I could reword that for clarity. Basically he said, you know what? Stand up. You or a man just like me, nothing less like you've probably been told. Peter makes this comment. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Jews were not shy, still are not, as far as 
Jewish people are not shy about letting you know pretty quickly that you are something less than they are. That they're not supposed to mingle with the unclean. Um, I, I don't know if you knew this. As, as bad as the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, when they got to Caiaphas, the governor's palace, he's a Gentile. The Bible tells us that they would not even go in there because if they went in there, now you got to remember, they are, they are gritting their teeth. They want to kill Jesus so bad. But when they got to the edge, they would not go in there. Why? Because if they went into the presence of Caiaphas in, in his palace, they would now be unclean, which meant that they would not be able to take Passover because that's how they saw the Gentile people. Peter's vision of God approving of what they saw as common and unclean was basically a straight attack at the Jewish heart, the Jewish pride. So these are some powerful words right here. God has shown me that I should not call any person uncommon or unclean. I should not call any person common or unclean. Uh, I touched on this last week about, you know, this really wasn't a new vision. This was a correction of God's view returning to the original plan. And I challenged in the first service, and it was really interesting because everybody looked at me like, hmm, did you not know that, did, did you know, do you know, put it right way, that in the Old Testament, the Gentile is not a defiled person. They are not an unclean person just for the fact of being a Gentile. Okay. Go ahead, you can dig it in the Old Testament all you want to. You're not going to find that they are a defiled person just simply by virtue that they are Gentile. Now, the, the Jews were told to not participate in their worship, right? And, and not, not to, well, they were encouraged not to, to intermarry with them. But lo and behold, they accepted Rahab right in, didn't they? Ruth, a Moabite, accepted right in. Because the, the, the reality of it is, is, is the Gentiles were not considered to be a defiled group of people just by the fact of being a Gentile. And where that whole mentality came to surface was basically during the teachers and the rabbis explaining things. They're the ones that brought that that strong separation where you look down upon the Gentiles. In fact, what the Bible says is right the opposite. In Isaiah 56, and I don't have this up there, but just listen. It says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Or don't ever think for one moment that the Lord would reject you because you are a foreigner, a Gentile, all right? Because he, he never did. We talked about a couple of people already. Verse 6 says, and the foreigners, now who's that? That's Gentiles. So, and the Gentiles who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain. That's the promise he gave Israel. So he's given them the very same promise. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. 
Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Folks, you got to stop and consider that God has always been after humanity. Always. Um, you could go into their homes because according to the word of God, they were invited into God's house. That's where he did the sacrificing. That's where the house of prayer is from. Okay? The only sin that makes a person, our only sin makes a person unclean. Only sin. And the only cure for that is Christ Jesus, Jew or Gentile. Every Jew has got to accept Jesus Christ to be saved. Every Gentile has got to accept Jesus Christ to be saved. That's the only way it works. Now, people can see other people as common, but God sees everyone as, oh, you're not up there yet. Go to the next one. There you go. God sees everyone as uncommon. You know what another word for that is? Unique. God sees everyone that way. Peter, I, I really, I hope you get this. Peter is a perfect example of literally being the product of what he was taught, even though what he was taught was not accurate. Are you hearing me? He comes in there and he's actually thinking, this is wrong for me to be here in the house of Cornelius. It's unlawful. It has never been unlawful for him to go into the house of a Gentile who also loves God. A, a, a Gentile that wants to offer up sacrifices to God, who wants to pray to God. It's never been wrong. And yet here he is, and, and, and it's all the product of the rabbis and the teachers and, and the teachings that they did explaining what Moses meant. Folks, listen, you can get in a lot of trouble when you get somebody over here trying to tell you, well, this is what it meant, when it doesn't sound like what it meant. It means what it says. Here's the good news, you ready? I, I, you know, was, Peter is invited into the house of who? Cornelius, a centurion. Do you remember Jesus being asked to come to the house of a centurion to pray for his slave. Remember that? And Jesus was going until the centurion by faith said, you don't have to, just say the word. So bottom line is this. God does not care about our backgrounds or our pedigrees. All he cares about is our now and hereafter. Raise your hand if you know you're a mutt. Yeah, I got a little of this, little of that, a little bit, little of this, little of that. But my mutts have always outlived my pedigrees. What is it about that? I don't know. It's just because there's more of us. Don't take that personal, Candy. I know you raised them thoroughbreds. I, I wouldn't be that wouldn't be a thoroughbred. That's a horse. Never mind. See, I know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm working really hard to perfect the unique part of that. The peculiar, 
I'm working on it. We touched on this last week, but the reality of it is, is Jesus was always with sinners. And now the Gentiles are finally beginning to see, or the Gentiles, the Christians are now beginning to see that the Gentiles are, are open to the gospel. That, that God loves the Gentiles, just like he loves the Jewish people. In fact, his word just told us that, that what he had for the, the promises he had for the children of Israel, they would be for Gentiles too if they received it. And, and here's the thing that a lot of, you know what is the, the, the crying shame of every lost person is that they do not realize that they are uncommon, that they are extraordinary and they don't see it because they've been blinded by all the, the lies and the deceitfulness of this world so that they do not realize that they are absolutely beautiful and perfect right the way they are in Christ Jesus. I would have thought somebody had said amen. And so you got this whole messed up world over there who's trying to change their sex, trying to, to redo their form, or trying to be like somebody that they're not, and all of this craziness when they don't realize that they are by themselves exactly the way God wanted them to be, that they are unique, they are uncommon, they are special, they are extraordinary. And yet Satan's got them so deceived, they're doing horrible things to themselves. Back to Peter. He says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. God sees everybody in this room exactly the same. You know why I know that? Because he looks at everybody in this room as a son or a daughter. If you're a Christian, he looks at you and he sees a son or a daughter. Now, it's possible that he could look at some of us and be more pleased with this one than that one because this one is in obedience and that one is doing some things they shouldn't be doing. But does he love them differently? No. Just like you love all three of your kids, four of your kids, ten of your kids, seven, you, you, you love them all. Even when they are, they're not doing exactly like they ought to be doing, you still love them. That's the beauty. <clears throat> now, if I were to stand up here and I were to look at you and I would say, you know, but I'm his favorite, would that be true? Yeah, it would be. But you could do the same thing and say, but I'm his favorite because we'd both be right. And the reason why he can do that is called unconditional love. Because God is love and his love is unconditional. Then it's therefore not, it's not banking on my obedience or my disobedience. It's not banking on my good days or my bad days. It's just based upon the character of who he is. So therefore he's loving. Um, but I'd like for you to consider something, how we are partial today. How we practice partiality. So here's the question for you. Um, consider somebody in here that you have not taken the time to really get to know. Why? 
See, the truth of the matter is, is what we do like is the common. And therefore, we tend to, uh, we tend to hang with those that we have something in common with, those that are sort of like us. And so therefore, you, if you look at the pocket of people that you had breakfast with and that you normally are with, you would probably see there's a consistency of the fact that there are things that are in common. Maybe the commonality is, is you're all in your Sunday school class. The commonality is that you're all farmers. Maybe the commonality is, is that you all like this or that or whatever. But the reality of it is, is God says that nothing is common. We are uncommon. So if we would quit focusing on the things that we have in common and start focusing on the things that are uncommon, then the truth of the matter is, is you would find you have something uncommonly correct with everybody else in this room. And, and that the, what makes that person uncommon is probably something very good to be inside of your life. See, the truth of the matter is, is in a church of the size that we are, you still have other people in this church that you're not building relationships with. And, and it's basically because it would take a little more effort. But I praise God that he took the effort to reach into my common, sinful life to make me an uncommon child of, of the king. Now, if you're not totally confused, let's move on. Now, therefore, this is Cornelius. He looks at Peter and he says, Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. <laughs> do, do any of you find humor in the scriptures? I find humor. They look at Peter. Now, first of all, Peter didn't want to be there until he was told to go. He had the preconceived ideas that they were unclean people and he shouldn't even be in their house, but he's there. And so now they look at him and these things are starting to come together like the dots are starting to connect. And, and, and they look at him and go, all right, we're ready. Give us what God's commanded you to say. And I think for the very first time, it's possible that Peter was a little bit speechless. And so what does he do? He does what, what, what Peter always does. Give him a platform, he's going to preach the gospel. So he starts preaching the gospel. He goes back to the beginning, pretty much trying to bring everything up to speed. And I like the fact that it's been eight years since he preached that gospel message the very first time, and it hasn't changed. It is, it is, it is still the same gospel message. Uh, and, and I said this, and I'm going to keep pounding this because this is important. Truth does not become antiquated. All right? We, we, we sometimes shelf it. But the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. It's always the truth. And because it's true, it's, it, it's not dependent upon generations, societal change. It's not dependent upon anything. It's just the truth. It doesn't become antiquated. Um, it doesn't expire, praise God. So hear me when I say this. There is no need to change up our gospel message. It does not need an updated version. It does not. Because the truth of the matter is it's perfectly good just exactly where it was. 
And, and, and we do not need to mess around with it to try to make it more inclusive. Would somebody please tell me what can be more inclusive that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's the whole wide world, believed in him. What is more inclusive than Jesus dying for the whole world that the whole world might know the gospel message and be saved? What's more inclusive than that? We have the inclusive message. God loves sinners, as Paul says, of which I was probably the chief. Our message. Our message is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Our sins. And that through his sacrificial death in my place, I am given the opportunity to come into a relationship with him by forgiveness and accepting his lordship, I come into a relationship with him whereby I am now made righteous, where I am justified as if I had never sinned. I'm a clean slate. I'm a brand new baby with a fresh start. I'm made holy because of what he did. And because of all of that, I am in a relationship that will last forever. Now, folks, that message doesn't need to be changed. It needs to be preached with great joy. Because that's the only hope the world has. The message never changes. Just our methods. Just our methods. <clears throat> so, it's, I find it funny. Peter begins with the gospel message, but they are already there <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit just jumps in there and goes, all right, all right, all right. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard it, all who heard the word. So obviously what God had commanded Peter to bring to these people was the reality of the Holy Spirit. All right, so I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the methodology. This is a huge method of the church that's about to make a change here. So turn with me, or look up here, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It says, it says, therefore, let us lead the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to what? Maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and, and of faith toward God. All right, so some people get stuck at a particular level. And basically their whole life is one step forward, one step back. I'm sorry. I blew it again. I keep doing this. I'll fall over. All right. It's, it's, it, it's basically just Cornelius and all those that were with him, they are all on board with who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ has done. What they want is where do we go from here? Do you want more? It is very easy for us to shake our head up and down without necessarily dealing with this complacency that's in the heart 
of so many Christians. And I, I really, I, listen, how many of you have figured it out? There's a lot of levels where people stop at in Jesus. A lot of levels. Some people, I'm saved. That's enough. That's all I need. I just want to be saved. I just want to make sure I go into heaven. Then you got some that go a little further. Well, I'm saved and I go to church real regularly. And then, and, and then I'm saved, I go to church, and I read and my Bible and I pray. And then I'm not going to start back from, anyway. And then you can add on to that. And I do all that. And, and then I, I help in this particular area or this particular ministry. I serve in, in some little capacity. <clears throat> I love the Lord. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I do something. I give. At some point, at some point, Christianity is supposed to be more than just checking boxes. It's supposed to be a relationship where I understand that I am just wholly his. Wholly his. And that whatever he wants is what I live for. You following me? Now, when you get to that point, that doesn't mean you quit doing, but at some place in your life, you got to quit focus on the doing and on the being. It's got to be about the being. Holy is. That's where maturity begins to happen. As long as I'm checking off the boxes, I don't tend to focus my attention on becoming mature in Christ. But when I realize I am wholly his and I am a son, I am a child of God, then my focus is, is growing and maturing in God as a son of God. <clears throat> the Old Testament had a lot of do's and don'ts, right? Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. But Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that, that the purpose of all of that was to guard us, to guard us until Christ came, until faith was understood, and we stepped into sonship. Sonship. That's where maturity begins. Maturity is when we live holy for the Lord, and we live holy for the Lord when we begin to understand that we are sons of God, we are daughters of God. And sometimes... If we don't get that mentality, follow me, what can happen? If, if your idea is, well, I do this and I do that, so I'm in good standing with God. And you, and, and you propagate that idea to your children so that your children begin to see, well, I go to youth and I, and I do this and I do that. If that's your mentality of what you wanted to convey to your kids, I'm going to tell you, you need to go further than that. Because that's not enough. Because if all they do is check the boxes, when they get on their own someday, they might not be as interested in the boxes anymore. But when their whole life is that I am wholly his, then when you get a little old, when they get a little older, they will make the right choice in their marriage because they're wholly his. And they'll make the right choice in their careers because they're wholly his. And they'll build their house on the foundation of Jesus because they're wholly his. 
And that's the maturity that's got to be, we've got to shift from just doing to being. Because the doing does not always accomplish what needs to be done. It is in the being that we are wholly his, that we live our life the way we're supposed to. All right. Cornelius, I got to wrap up. Cornelius represents a huge shift. A huge shift. Why? Because if he has nothing, they have nothing to do with rules. They have not, they have not been raised by all these rules. What you can eat, what you can eat, where you got to go, who you can hang out with, what you got to do. They weren't raised by any of these. So if you really want to shift everything, grab up some people like that that don't have the background. And here's what's crazy, folks. I've seen people raised in church, and they are at this level right here because they, they, they know what's expected. They know what are the do's and don'ts, and they know what, what keeps them in that position right here. And then you get this rascal over here, doesn't know squat, falls in love with Jesus, puts his nose in his Bible and doesn't bring it back out, is absorbing everything he can in God because he's like a sponge and he has found new life. And you watch all the people that are in the church that he's attending going, what's wrong with him? He just found out what you could know. And that is, he's the son of God. He's the child of a king. You want to make a big shift? Look at a person like Cornelius is like, you know what? I don't have the right breeding I don't have all the right rules. I don't even know what the Sabbath means. But I have found this Jesus to be incredible, life-changing. Now I need, to know, I need to know what I need to know. So, <laughs> Peter is standing. Can you imagine for just a moment? Some of y'all like y'all about to go sleep on me. Don't go to sleep yet. I got... That says I got two minutes, but I'm gonna, mine says I got one. I'm going to even go with either one of those. Peter is standing in front of this room full of uncircumcised pig eating with your dirty hands. I don't know what the Sabbath is, bunch of people. And God is so in love with them that he pours out the Holy Spirit upon them. And the Jews are over here going, I did not see this coming. Folks, there's a need for a wake up. God loves everybody. Everybody. He's after everybody. So Peter makes this statement. I think this is an amazing statement. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, you, that part right there, does what is right, that is the same word as righteousness. So when you read that scripture, Peter now is basically, it's all boiling down to just simple. Everybody that has a fear, a respect, an, an acknowledgement that God is God and becomes righteous in him is acceptable. 
is acceptable. Wow. God has so much bigger plans than we usually do. I love it when God blows up boxes. Shock and all. But I want to say something to you as I wrap up. This is my wrap-up wrap-up. God has an amazing plan for you. He really does. If you're tiptoeing around with the whole idea of Christianity, you're not going to know it. You're not going to know it. It's not one of those things where you can literally just go, eh, well, if I'll go to church every now and then, I, 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 I'll see if it gets. No, you know how it gets? It, it happens when you give yourself wholly to him. And then you find him giving himself wholly to you. And then your life is forever changed, period. And he's got a great plan. Listen, you're not common. You're unique. You're extraordinary. You were designed by God. Every one of you a mold broken after you were made. And the only way you're ever going to know all the uniqueness that God has created and poured into you that he shaped in you when you were being formed in your mother's womb, the only way you're ever going to know that is through him. Because if you don't connect to the creator, you won't ever know your purpose in creation. Would you stand? Next week can be even more fun, I think. Father, we come to you right now. Our prayer is real simple. Lord, sometimes we get ideas of how you are. And God, you're always bigger than how I ever imagined. The work you want to do is greater than I ever dreamed. And I pray that, Lord, you, you do that in here. Let us never look at another person that's out there and not think God wants them. God wants them. Help us, Lord, to not live our life based upon preconceived ideas and little boxes that we've checked. That we've become so comfortable with them that we even excuse some of the sin in our life. Lord, I pray that you would open all of our eyes. That if we've satisfied ourselves with a certain level, that we would go back and remind ourselves that Christ died to be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Each one living wholly for the Father. Each one getting their directives on a daily basis from God on how to live and what to do and what to accomplish. It's so much bigger than boxes to check. Oh, but God, it is a full life, a full life that you're trying to pour out. Help us open our eyes. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.